Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello once again, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and you've chosen to listen to the podcast where I ask my guests to reveal the five things from any time in their life that they would choose to have in a time capsule. A good choice, I'd say. Of course, I'm definitely biased. My guest chooses four things that they cherish and hold dear, but they also choose something that they rather regret or wish hadn't happened, something they would like to erase from their past. My guest in this episode is the actor Tim Healy, who first rose to fame in the TV series Our Wiedersehen Pet, before entertaining us all as Leslie Conroy in Benidorm and the wonderful character Gastric in Still Open All Hours with Sir David Jason. He's also been in Minder, Boys from the Bush, Commoners Muck, Phoenix Nights, Coronation Street, Waterloo Road and Vic Reeves and Bob Mortimer's Catrick, amongst other things. Tim played Jack Elliott in the West End musical Billy Elliott, as well as appearing in many other theatre roles throughout a very full career. So, what would he choose for special treatment as the things he'd like to put in his time capsule? Well, let's find out, shall we? Here is the Geordie's Geordie, Tim Healy. You join our conversation as we're discussing our very happy time together in Spain, making the comedy series Benidorm. Have fun. How are you, mate? I'm fine, sir. How are you? Lovely to see you. Doesn't time fly, Tim? I know. How long is it now? Since we were... Is it four years or something? Four years, I think, yeah. It's one of those strange things. If we were back there, yeah. it would be instant, wouldn't it? I know. I'd love to go back just to have a little holiday, you know. Yeah. Whenever I was there, you're always thinking about tomorrow and mm-hmm. your lines and, it, you know, just to uh, completely chill and, and just have a remember. You know what yeah. I mean? That'd be good. Yeah. What a great time. Oh, happy days. Yeah. Oh, we did have such a lovely time, didn't we? 
I remember you telling me that story of walking up to Darren and saying, you know, can I be in your program? I love it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, the awards, of course, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, of course, I had a few drinks. And, uh, <laughs> and he said, what, 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 what would you like to be? I said, well, something nobody would expect me to be. You know, yeah. After about four beers. And then I said, ah, transvestite or something like that. <laughs> so then it arrived. I thought, no, 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 no. <laughs> Woke up with a hangover, you know, and I'm playing a transvestite. Uh, and uh, you were marvellous, of course. Oh, of course, darling. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the wedding was great fun, but oh, God, it was hot on there and all those bloody seagulls. Oh, it was hard work that day, wasn't it? Especially in frock as well. Yeah, well, I thought that every time, you know, you would have to get the whole full shebang on. You know. Oh, God. I was the only thing I didn't like about the character, to be honest with you. Mm. I loved the people. We had a great time, you know. We laughed all day. We had a great going to work and laughing. It's all about being abroad as well. Makes yeah. you feel, oh, I'm a proper actor now. I'm working abroad, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but that gear I had to put on, dear me, oh. a nightmare. Still, everybody always says, don't they, that that speech, Mateo's speech at the wedding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's been cocked more times than John Wayne's gun. John Wayne's gun, yeah. <laughs> Mm. Uh, there we are. So anyway, this is uh, this is this podcast I've been doing for a while yeah. now. I'm enjoying it, having great fun. Yeah. I've found some lovely people to chat to. Well, you're stuck with me, I'm afraid now. I've got you I'm now. Bring it down a bit now. <laughs> it's the best I can do for today. <laughs> actually, actually, it's, it's quite it's quite difficult to think about four things that you you want to survive and one that you want to bury because there's hundreds, really, isn't there? Yeah. So let's talk about them. Let's find out what the five things you want to put in the time capsule are, Tim. Well, the first thing would be a ring, a ring I've got. It's a signet ring. The first love of my life bought me this ring for my 21st birthday. And um, it's been on my finger just about all the time since then. But I took it to my dad. My, my father was a, a fantastic tool maker. And he, uh, as a kid, he would make me anything, you know. Mm. He wouldn't buy me anything. He'd make me a bike, you know. He'd make me a sledge. He could make anything, you know. My mother used to go to John Lewis and uh, of shops and say, oh, look at that coffee table, you know, rather than buy one, he would make her one, you know what I mean, in his uh, lunchtime or work. So. so anyway, I said, Dad, I want, I want TMH on this. I want my initials on my ring from my girlfriend. So uh, I watched him engrave this, just hand engraved, holding it in his fingers, and he just got a tiny little engraving tool, you know, with a dot, like a point on the end. And he just did it with his hands like that. And I would come up to his shoulder to watch him, and he'd turn and look at me, because I would make him slip, you know. She wouldn't let me watch him. But anyway, he put TMH on this ring, and when I show people, they can't believe how straight the lines are, and they're absolutely brilliant, you know. Oh, yeah. And uh, shortly after that, he died, you know. So I've always treasured this this ring. And uh, it's been an amazing history with it. I was doing a play in the Live Theatre Company in Newcastle in my early days, mm-hmm. and it involved a fight scene. And I, I had this fight, and I, and I felt me ring catch on something. Thought no more about it. And at the end of the run, end of the play that night, my ring had come off my finger. So I was, oh, where's my ring gone? Where's it gone? And we looked and we looked and we looked everywhere for a couple of hours. Couldn't find it anywhere. So anyway, we knocked all the set down, you know, we're touring. So we knocked all the set down, threw it in the van, got it back to the premises. And I thought, that's it. I was devastated. I thought, I've lost my ring. Mm. And then I went off and did the workmen's clubs and stuff and, and uh, did a few other jobs. And then I came back to do another play at the live theatre four years later. We were touring again and we, we, we had this carpet that we hadn't used for years. 
and we pulled it off the van and just threw it out on the um, on the top of the stage, and there was me ring in the middle of the carpet. No. And it had been wrapped up in this carpet, right, in a warehouse <laughs> for four years. And I thought, and I was jumping, I was like I won a lottery, and I've got me ring back, there's me ring <laughs> in the middle of the carpet. So when I got to Benidorm and I was playing Leslie, yeah. the makeup department and the costume department said to me, oh, well, well, really, Tim, why don't you wear that? I thought it's really precious to me, this ring. I don't want to take it off for you. I've never taken it off for a long time because mm. this is like 20 years later. And uh, they said, well, why don't you wear that ring for Les? It looks right for Les. It's a man's ring, but we want to put some glamorous rings on you for Leslie. And I said, oh, I'm not sure. I said, well, look, okay, as long as you keep it here in a box and I know exactly where it is and I make sure I get it back every night, I'll do that. So, of course, this was all fine. And I was doing, I think, the last episode of series five or six, I can't remember which one, but we it was the last shot of the series and we were working night shift. So everybody was wrapping up during the day, apart from the people that were working. And when I went back, I walked back into the makeup. All the everything had gone. Oh no! And they'd taken my ring back to London, right? And I thought, like, I'll never see it again, you know. <laughs> and I had to wait for a year again to get my ring back. Oh my god! And when I walked in on the first year. I said, "Ring? Where's my ring?" And they said, "Ring? What ring? It was a new make? Some new people in the makeup?" I said, "You've got to have my ring." I said, "I left it, you know, to to the balls in the box, be in Leslie's box." So uh, the open Leslie's box, and there it was. So I put it back on, and I said, "Oh, well, you, you know." I said, "I am," and I never took it off since. But from that day on, every job I've done still open all hours. All the other TVs I've done, it never comes off now. No, so I don't blame you. That's a precious thing. Very precious to me. It's the memories. It's the memories of you know my dad. I love my dad so much, you know, mm. and uh, he was just a brilliant, brilliant craftsman, you know. So. It's, Every time I look at it, and I'm proud of it, you know, I say, hey, look at that, and I tell them the story. Yeah. And they won't believe me that it's so straight, this, these lines on it, you know, out of a craftsmanship. When you see craftsmen like that, people who, yeah, yeah. through a life of really just sort of going, well, I'll have a go at that. Yes. And then they, they master all these amazing skills. This is it. And then to have such an ease with it. Yeah, it's one of these guys who would turn his hand to everything, you know. And, yeah. of course, he, he used to engrave all the local schools, uh, Football trophies and stuff, you know, he was in big demand. Yeah. All on the side, not not his job, but, you know, he wasn't an engraver, but he was a wonderful engraver, you know. When you see the shot of the person engraving the name into the trophy after the FA Cup, yeah. just, honestly, I would be shaking like a leaf, wouldn't you? You would be, wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. The Masters, they always do it for the US Masters, don't they? They show the man putting the name It's the Masters, yeah, that's right, yeah. Bloody terrifying. Mm. And that's the thing, to say, no, I know I can do this, to take one piece of metal and push it through another piece of metal, knowing that at the end of it, you're going to leave a beautiful line and a clear cut. Yeah. Incredible. Even all the stills. Where did he work, your dad? Well, he was a toolmaker at the Royal Ordnance Factory. Uh, in Berkeley, uh, came up from uh, Woolwich Arsenal mm. in London as a 17-year-old because my grandfather, he ran this big shop just before the war in London and they were starting to make all these shelves for ships to get ready for the war. Mm. So my father came up with him at, at, at uh, 14 and became the first apprentice in the factory and he worked there all his life. Actually dropped down dead in there, which was uh, pretty tough, you know. He was only 59 and I'm sure it was the... Conditions, because in those days, of course, you didn't have extractor fans or anything like that, you know. And I I actually was asked to present the prizes to the apprentices around about 1985 or something like that. 
by this time, the factory was closing down a bit. But they took me into this forge where my dad used to work. And I literally felt sick after after 10 minutes. Yeah. Breathing in this stuff, this crap, you know. Mm. It was a dirty life, you know, but... Uh, yeah, tough life. He loved his engraving, you know, I told him. Yeah. yeah. So that means your dad was a cockney. Yeah. It was, well, it was incredible because he came when he was 14. He never lost his cockney accent but he would say all the Geordie Raymond slang. <laughs> so he, he used to call me, well, I was called Malcolm as a kid. He used to call me Malcolm. And he'd say, where you going, Lord? You know, where are you going? And yeah, Lord, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and people would say to me, where's your dad from, man? Where's your dad from? <laughs> yeah, where are you? Where are you, man? I'm going in yeah, Lord, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to Newcastle. <laughs> and he was a Cockney Geordie. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> now, I wondered that. You've played Cockneys, haven't yeah. you? And I thought, so, well, that's quite a skill, actually, to be a Geordie and then be able to play a Cockney. Yeah, well, I've had Cockney media from being a kid, yeah. Yeah. Because he was Cockney talking all that, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he'd say, like, you know, we are, I'm coming over there, like, you know, and I was mixed right up between Cockney and Bloody Jory, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so he used to go up and down, but with a Cockney accent. How brilliant. It sounded, and actually my Uncle Terry, who's 90, he rings me up and the hairs go up on the back of my neck because he talks all that. No, you know, he's exactly the same. How brilliant. I love Newcastle. I rarely go there. I, I love the centre of Newcastle because it's so sort of, so there it is, and you can see everything around it. It's sort of high. That's right, yeah. Yeah. I love arriving there on the train. And, and also, I once arrived on the train, and within five minutes of getting off the train, somebody had wound the window down and shouted, fuck off home, you southern bastard. It's sounded like you were in Yorkshire there. Did I? Oh, and that's the best I could do, I'm afraid. That's the one accent that defeats nearly everybody else apart from Geordie's. You know what? Most actors say that Geordie's the hardest one to do. Yeah. Well, it's taken me 70 years, you know. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to take your fantastic ring carved by your dad yeah. and given to you by your very first love. It's a lovely present to get for a 21st birthday. Yeah. So I shall put it into the time capsule for you to keep it safe. Okay. All right, that's your first thing, Tim. What's number two? Well, up in my uh, bedroom, there's a, um, a photograph of Tommy Cooper. And it's it's literally uh, three foot six by five foot. Wow. And it used to be in the uh, corridor at Teddington Studios. Tommy went to Teddington and eventually um, about 1971. Mm. He worked with the BBC and all sorts. But he ended up at Tennington. And Tennington was the last, uh, when, when we did Still Open All Hours, it was the last show that was ever done there. Right. And we thought that was so sad, you know. And uh, when I arrived on the first day, there were people carrying stuff out, you know. And I met this guy called Brian. And I said, what are you, Brian, what are you doing? And he said, oh, he said, well, this is the last show, you know, we're cleaning out, we're cleaning the bar. There was no bar there or anything, no canteen when we, we just had to get sandwiches brought in. It was the last ever performance, which is so sad. Mm. And had all these plaques outside at Tennington, you know, of uh, Harry Worth and Tommy Cooper <laughs> and Hilda Peter, all these stars in blue plaques, you know. And... As I walked in, there was Tommy Cooper picture. And I said, oh, I said, well, what are you doing? And I'm a Tommy Cooper fanatic since being a kid. You know, I remember as 17 years old, my dad went to Cyprus and I went on holiday to Blackpool, staying in a tent. And uh, at the time, I was Tommy Cooper mad. All I wanted to be was Tommy Cooper. And I locked myself in a Triumph Herald for four hours. And I said, I'm not coming out of the car <laughs> until I could do Tommy Cooper, Tommy Cooper's voice. 
And I did. I locked myself in at 17 years old. And eventually, I got, I got out of the car like that. <laughs> and I closed the door like that. <laughs> and I said, my friend, I can do that now. <laughs> and I was in. He said, I've been, I've been a, a fantastic Tommy Cook, a fan all my life. I met him as well. I'll tell you that in a bit later. Anyway, I saw this photograph. I said to Brian, I said, well, what's happening to this? He said, do you want it, Ken? I said, what is this photo? I said, you know, I'd love it. I'd love it. Yeah, I said, if, if it's not now, no, mate. He said, no, mate. He said, you're the first one. He said, you've got it, Tim. I'll keep it for you. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I skipped into rehearsals and uh, started working with David, you know, David Jason, and getting on great with him. Great job. And uh, we had a lot of fun, David and I, you know, most of our scenes were together. Mm. I did little scenes with uh, Johnny Vegas and Stephanie and all the rest of the cast. And uh, But most of my stuff was with David because I was playing David Jason's wet rag, you know. He, he, I had this relationship with him where we had these scenes. And he, if he said to me, climb that tree, you know, I wouldn't see why. I would I would climb it and see why have you got me up here. <laughs> so we, we, had, we used to laugh and laugh and laugh. And we got really relaxed in that and we were just having great fun and... They would say, stand by, you know, and I'd be outside the shop. We had to come in, and I'd go, I'll stand by, stand by. I'll stand by, stand by. And actually, I'd walk in as, as gastric, you know, I'd leave Toby Cooper at the door, you know. Yeah. Jim used to love this, you know, and he used to say to me, um, oh, Jim, he said, yeah, I love Tommy Cooper. He said, you does very good, that that impression you do of Tommy Cooper. It's very, it's very good, Jim. I said, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, yeah, no, then we started doing that, tell them. All of Tommy's cags have you heard this one and all that sort of thing. So anyway, on the last week, we're on episode six. I walk in into Teddington and Brian, who's clearing everything out, says to me, Oh, Jim, Jim, mate, you've got a problem with a Tommy Cook photograph. I said, What? what what's that? He said, uh, Nah, David Jason wants it. <laughs> I said, What? What? I said, well, when did you Jason ask you? He said, yesterday. Oh. I said, well, I asked you flipping six weeks. I've asked you six weeks ago. I said, what did you say to him? He said, oh, well, he said, well you sorted it out between you, Tim. You sorted it out. <laughs> so I walked in on the set. David's behind the counter, you know, in the shop. <laughs> and I walked in. Hey, David. What? I said, have you asked for this Tommy Cooper photograph? He said, yeah, yeah, why? I said, well, when did you ask for it? He said, yesterday. I said, oh, you joke. I said, listen, I asked for that six weeks ago. I said, on the first day, I said, the first day I walked past it, this is in front of all the crew and that, you know, whatever the camera was. Yeah. I said, the first day I walked past it, I said, I asked Brian. And he said, yeah, can have it. He said, you told me I could have it, you know. And, and I said, no, you want it, you know. And I said, I'll tell you what we'll do. I'll tell, I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's have a Tommy Cooper impression competition <laughs> for the crew. And I said, whoever wins gets the Tommy Cooper picture. And he looked at me, you know, with a big grin on his face. You know? And he looked at me like this and he went, uh, <laughs> he said, uh, I'll have the Morkman wise, he said. <laughs> and he got the Morkman wise foot. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> but the one with the, you know, doing the dance where they're going off stage, you know, at the end of the show. There was another one of that, that was Mark Wise, right next to Tommy Cooper, you see. Yeah, I remember them along the corridor in the foyer. Along the corridor, yeah. yeah. So he got the Mark Wise and I've got the Tommy Cooper upstairs. Oh, brilliant. In my bedroom. And every every morning I wake up, he's looking at me like, you know, 
And it's just been just smiling. And every time I post it, I go, you go that way, and I'll go that way. <laughs> so, um, David is a wind-up merchant as well. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. And he belches all the time, doesn't he? <laughs> I know. <laughs> he can actually talk through a belch. <laughs> Oh dear. Yeah, we had a great time there. Yeah, he's great to work with. I might give it to him eventually, actually, because I've downsized house now and it does look like I've only got a little bedroom upstairs and yeah. it's uh, it's too big to put in a lounge now. You know what I mean? I, I might uh, surprise him one day and let him have it. I'll swap him. <laughs> <laughs> He'd like that, I'm sure. I spoke to him on this and, and at the end of it. Well, has he done it? He has done it, yeah. Well, Rather different from this, Tim. We went to the Ivy and had lunch. Oh, uh, lovely. But at the end of it, oh. I surprised him by giving him... Now, I was in an episode of uh, Only Fools and Horses where I was a holiday rep, and I was in charge of a thing called the Groovy Gang in Spain. Mm -hmm. And all the kids on the holiday were given Groovy Gang badges. And at the end of the interview I did with him, I gave him one that I'd been holding on to for 35 years. And he was oh. he was like a big kid. It was really lovely. Oh, but it was. What a lovely thing to do. No, it was great. That's great, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's a great man, isn't he? He is a great man, yeah. Great to work with, just like you. <laughs> I think he's slightly more talented. So you said you met Tommy Cooper as well. Yeah, I did meet him, actually. Uh, right in the early days of Obedience in fact, uh, the L Street, he had a show called Starburst, and, and his dressing room was right next door to me. And of course, all the all the crew knew how fanatic I was about Tommy Cooper. So he, um, the runner asked if I could meet him and that. And then well, I went to see Lord in his dressing room, and then we went down to the barn. Gary Holton and uh, Jimmy Neal and a whole lot of us met him and had a drink with him in wow. the bar. You know, he was just me. The thing was about him, it was that it must have been difficult because people would laugh at him all the time. You know, even when he was just being serious, mm. you never quite knew. Whether he, he was being serious or not, because he came, he limped, sort of limped over to the table and sat down. And it just looked so funny because he was limping, you know. And and, and as he sat down, he just went, like <laughs> that, you know, which sounded funny, you know. Yeah. So you find yourself grinning straight away, you know, at this brilliant man. <laughs> and and uh, we said, what's, what's wrong with your leg, Tommy? He said, oh, no, 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 it's, it's not the leg. It's just my ankle, right? <laughs> Which we started chuckling a bit then, you know, and it's, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. He said, I've got ulcers, ulcers on the ankle. And we started laughing, you know. Oh, dear. It was, oh, no, no, no. He said, yeah, yeah. He said, he said I've got, he, he lifted his leg up difficultly. Oh, he lifted his leg up and he pulled his trousers back. He said, you see that there? And we all went, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a bandage. <laughs> That's a bandage, he said. He said, I don't wear bandages unless I've got ulcers. <laughs> but it, we just fell about laughing, you know. Oh, dear. He was being he was being honest. Yeah, and the poor man's in agony. Oh, it was the best night of my life. <laughs> but you do expect one of those jokes, don't you? That sort of uh Doctor said to me, I've got good news and bad news. He said, what's the bad news? He said, uh, we've cut off your wrong leg. He said, oh, what's the good news? He said, bloke in the bed next door wants to buy your slippers. <laughs> I love what he did. I love to do some poetry with jazz. He went, jazz. Three days, half September, April, June, and November. All the rest are very wild. That's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, silly. I mean, you know, 
Yeah, don't talk about Tommy all night, yeah. Yeah. But it was fantastic to meet him. Yeah, I bet. And I've got a photograph with him and I, and he's got his uh, his arm around me, and, and I'm literally, you know, he's head and shoulders above me, and I look mm. like a little boy, and I'm 31 years old at the time. And I've got this grin on my face, and I look about 10, <laughs> about 10 years old, you know, because I'm with my hero. And when you sit down on the throne in the toilet, there he is, so there with me on the on the wall. Yeah, <laughs> I've got uh, two pictures of me. I've got the big one, the proper one, and a one with him. Yeah, lovely. What a great thing to pick! I shall yeah. put the great Tommy Cooper into your time capsule for you, and you can have your own private show anytime you like. <laughs> Brilliant. All yeah. right, let's move on to item number three. Okay, we're going to leave my chat with Tim for a short while so we can play you some ads. Oh, now, I bet you sat up there, didn't you, like an expectant pup? (laughs) Well, we'll be back in a moment and maybe I'll take you for a walk. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how get 20, 20, how get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, heel, heel, good dog. Welcome back. Right, let's find out what the third thing is that Tim Healy would like to put in his time capsule. Do you want a biscuit first? Okay, there you go. Now sit. Well, this is an item which is snooker cue. Mm-hmm. But every time I look at it, I think about the history of my life. I, I'm a very keen snooker player. I always have been, you know. I'm not as good as I was now because as you get older, it's hard to get down, you know, and stay still and stuff. But um, back in 1985, uh, I got asked to start playing the um, British Celebrity Tour, playing golf. Right. Golf is my other hobby, you know, mm. and I played all over the place. And uh, in the early days, I played with Dennis Taylor. It was 1985, and in those times, the celebrities had to share a room. You know, we'd get free golf, and we'd get traveling expenses to get that. We'd play the best golf courses in Britain. Mm. We'd all get up and do the cavalry in the evening. We'd get a free dinner and free drinks, and it was just a fantastic way to spend the summer yeah. if you weren't working. You know? So I found myself. Sharing a, a twin bedroom with Dennis Taylor. Never met him before. And he wasn't a massive star then, you know, but he was playing in the World Championship. And uh, he was a big Alvesian pet fan at the time. And we started talking and, and we were talking about his snooker. And I said, mm-hmm. oh, you, how are you playing, Dennis, in the World Championship? Yeah, I'm playing the 
So I'm playing the World Championship this year. So I'm playing very well. I'm playing very well, Tim. Very well. Played better than I've ever played in my life, he said. <laughs> but he said, I've got a chance. I've got a chance. And I thought, I'm oh, he's got a chance of winning this, you know. Yeah. And we were filming, actually, in Nottingham, second series of our wheels in pit. Mm. So I said to Christopher Fairbank, who played Moxie in the show, he was a very keen snooker player. And Dennis invited me to the World Championship. So we went to watch Dennis Taylor play Steve Davis in the 1985 Championship. Wow. So I put 100 quid on, which was a lot of money in 1985. You mm-hmm. know, it's probably worth a thousand pounds, I suppose, now. Yeah. And uh, I got 16 to 1. Right. <laughs> and, and Chris Fairbank and I just was great because we're all in Nottingham filming at Lenton Lane where we're filming the second old movie. We had the weekend off, we only filmed Monday to Friday. Yeah. So Saturday morning, woof, in the car, 45 minutes, we're in Sheffield at the Crucible. Had fantastic seats. First session, Dennis 4 0 down. Oh, mm. Second session, he's 8 0 down. <laughs> 8 0, you know. We're thinking, oh, no, this is just. And he just clawed his way back. And he clawed his way back in the third, eight one, you know, eight two, nine two, nine three, nine four, you know, mm. ten four, ten five, ten. And, and he got he got to set eventually he got to seventeen oh, can you imagine? Oh. I mean, we were just, you know, what it was I've never known. It was electric. I mean, everybody still talks about this now. The, the best snooker final the world has ever seen and yeah. probably never happened again, you know. And he won. Is that the one where Steve Davis misses the shot at the end? Misses the black. He misses Mr. the black. black. Black to win. Yeah. He has to cut it back, doesn't he? That's right. Dennis oh. has left him on, you know. Dennis goes across and he's whole, he, Dennis' whole body drained. Mm. His whole body drained. He's thought because he, he thought he'd won it, you know. Yeah. And then Steve Davis came people couldn't believe he missed his cut back. Always what they call a blind cut, you know, where you mm. can't, you're not looking at the pocket, you, you're cutting away from it, you know. Anyway, left it in the jaws. <laughs> and Dennis knocked it in and the place went, I mean, <laughs> it, it went berserk. And Chris and I went backstage and we were with his family and then we had a party and poor Steve Davis was great. He, he lost all the colour in him, you know. And then, of course, I won all this money as well. And then we went back to start filming. You can imagine on the Monday morning and all the guys had been watching it on the TV like the whole world was watching it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Then Dennis introduced me to Jimmy White, and I started seeing Jimmy White, the other snooker player. And he took me down to a place called uh, John Paris Cues, and I got measured for a, a cue, like wow. like a professional. That's what professionals do. Like, yeah. You get measured, you know, and depending on your height, normally a snooker cue should come to the top of your shoulder. Mm. So Jimmy said, oh, Tim, I'll take you down. He said, you don't want a cue, Jim, come with me, I'll take you down. <laughs> he took me down to John Paris in London, and then I am getting a snooker cue the same. I'm like, you know, big kid, this snooker cue. And I've had this snooker cue ever since, you know, you know never, obviously I never change it. No. So every time I look at it, you know, it just reminds me of Dennis, you know, and Steve Davis that night, you know, and all them times of uh, playing snooker, really. Mm. So that's something I would, I, would, I would hate to lose. It's precious to me, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And that moment yeah. where he wins, oh, he holds his cue above his head, doesn't he? <laughs> Yeah. In celebration. Yeah. And points at the trophy. That famous shot where he points That's at the right. trophy as much as to say, you're mine, you're mine. Yeah, yeah. It's a great moment. Yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. interesting, isn't it? Because as you say, the whole world was watching. And that may be one of the last times everybody saw it. And it was after midnight, you know? Incredible. Unheard of, really. Yeah. So uh, that's something I would like to... Um, Hold on the to. The whole memory of that, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't blame you. Yeah. 
What a fantastic memory. Yeah, just to be there. And everybody says that Dennis is a really lovely man. He is, absolutely. Beautiful, loves a joke, loves life, loves his golf. In fact, he was just starting, just learning to play when I played with him the first first time in 1985. He was a very good golfer now. Fantastic. Yeah. All right, well, that very precious cue yep. goes into the time capsule as your third item, Tim. Okay. okay, we've got two left. Two left. Me Auntie Nelly. <laughs> My Auntie Nelly. Yeah. When I was a kid growing up in Benwell, you know, in the suburbs of Newcastle, we were in a, a flat upstairs and the downstairs on one of these long rows of terrace houses was a little hardware shop, come everything shop. You could buy everything in there, cigarettes, potatoes, carrots, anything, you know, mm. anything for the house. Like a little hardware store at the time, I suppose. And my auntie Nelly used to run it with my mum. And um, she was my grandmother's sister, but she lived with us. And then we moved from there to Ouston, which is six miles south of Newcastle. And she moved with us. And I grew up with her. She was like my grandma, really. Mm. And my mum worked, so I used to ride to, ride to school on my bike and that, and uh, that my dad made for me. And um, <laughs> I would come back and me Auntie Nelly would make me dinner, you know. All the wrong food just after the war, you know, I started eating everything. You know what I mean? I had a horrific diet when I think about it. I'd have egg and chips and a snowball, a chocolate <laughs> snowball. That would be me pudding, you know, and a glass of milk, you know. But anyway, uh, I loved that a bit. And, and, and eventually when I first became an actor, I was still living at home with me Auntie Nelly. And I just bought a little Riley Elf motor car. Great. Like a mini but with a wooden dashboard and those little fins on the back. Yeah, beautiful car. Cost me 85 quid, I think, <laughs> the first car. Anyway, I was working at the live theatre company, and my aunt Nelly said to me this morning, oh, she said, I bought you a present for your car. And, I said, and she bought me a transistor radio. Unless you bought a posh car, you didn't have a radio in a car in those days. There weren't any, you know. No. So I had this transistor radio I thought I'd put on the back seat and just switch it on before I go and off I went. It was fantastic. So anyway, I get in the car and oh thanks, Auntie Nelly. So I get in the car and I was driving to Newcastle Central Station to pick the director up. Now I got into the car park and as I was backing out, this taxi, big black taxi, right? Poof, hit the back of my car and smashed the whole back of the car in, right? Yeah. So it came out and there was a sign saying that any any sort of accidents in here at all, you know, there's no insurance. So I hadn't even hardly marked the taxi because it was a big, heavy diesel taxi. So me and the director pulled the, pulled the back wing, you know, off the tyre and eventually we got away and he said, ah, you've had it, mate. They're not, not going to cough up. You know? So anyway... We'll get to this pub where we're rehearsing in a pub. So I walked into the rehearsal with the lads. And I, so, you know, believe this, I've just picked Jeff up and flipping taxis just bust me up the back end. Oh, no. I said, yeah, yeah, I've just got the car. And he said, yeah, I know. So anyway, lunchtime, I said to uh, uh, Ronnie Johnson, I said, oh, I said, damn, my auntie, you know, just got me this uh, new tranny transistor radio. I said, come have a look at it. So I went outside. Somebody put a brick, right? They put a brick through the back window of the car. <laughs> I'm laughing at this now, right? Put a brick through the backward of the car and nicked the chances to radio. <laughs> it's, you know, it's lunchtime. I've had the car smashed up. My chances to radio I've had for like three hours has been nicked. Well, so we went back in and started rehearsal again. I was in the scene, I had a fag, I had a cigarette, I was smoking a cigarette. And I dropped it. And, and I went, oh, sorry, guys, I've dropped me, I've dropped me fag, you know. So yeah. we started looking for the gun. Pub tables and that, all the chairs, looking everywhere for this fag. 
I went, must have gone out because, you know, kind of smelled like it. Let's just carry on. You know? <laughs> so, all right, next thing I know, we chose a leg, right? <laughs> Burst into flames, right? <laughs> and it gone down the turnip in my trousers. It had gone down the turnip in my trousers. <laughs> so my right leg is on fire, right? <laughs> and all the guys, Jerry Whittaker and uh, Ronnie, they're throwing beer on my leg, you know, to get, <laughs> put my leg out. So eventually they put my leg out. And they would all say, oh, hey, Malcolm, you can't believe this, you know, you've had the car smashed up and you've had your, made your own neck, your trousers is on fire. <laughs> So anyway, we wrapped at about five o'clock and uh, I walked out of the pub and I looked in the car park and my car wasn't there. And I just looked and there was a space where the car was. And somebody nicked the car. So I went back in and I said, hey, you're not believing this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because the window had been smashed. Obviously, somebody got in and opened it, nicked the car. So the car's gone. Yeah. So anyway, I went to home. That, I, I went, it took me to Worsley Street bus station in Newcastle and I got the bus Back to Burley, saying, God, that's the worst day of my life, says and, and as I was going up Burley Bank, there was a big bank went up to this little place called Burley where I lived. There was an ambulance came flying past through the way. And I, I just noticed it flying past. And anyway, a minute later, I walked into the house and my mum's crying. And I said, What's the matter? She said, Your Auntie Nelly's died. No. Yeah. No. That sounds like the capsule where you say, what do you want to burn forever? Do you, what do you want to, you know? It was the worst day of my life. This was the worst day of my life, you know? Yeah. Uh, for all that to happen to somebody in, on the same day. But now I, I, I die now talking about that story because whenever anybody is feeling sad or or, or had some accident or or something's gone wrong, you normally bet your life that it's not quite as bad as this one. No. And I always tell them that to try and cheer them up, you know, mm. if they've had the car nicked up, yeah. or somebody spilled a drink on them or a bit, you know. Yeah. And, and I can laugh at it now, you know, because it, it is hilarious, really, when you think about it, sort of 45, 50 years later, you know. Mm. It's an extraordinary thing to happen to one to someone in one day, isn't it? And, and uh, it's almost like a joke, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's a cartoon. Oh. I've cheered a lot of people up telling telling them that story when they've been pissed off or they've been, you know, sad or yeah. had something happen to them, you know. It certainly puts things into perspective, doesn't it? Yeah. I didn't expect that end, though. No. I had an Auntie Mary, not an Auntie Nelly, but she was just the old lady who lived next door. But she did the same thing. I think if you had parents who needed to go out to work and everything, then then you'd, you'd find a sort of an elderly relative yeah. or neighbour who would look after the kids. And exactly the same thing. The very worst foods. Yeah. I've never tasted mashed potato like Auntie Mary's, the best in the world. Yeah, yeah. But that's because it was basically butter. That's exactly it, yeah. And of course, you're quite a bit younger than me, but I'm not just after the war, baby, you know, so there weren't any eggs and stuff like that. Milk was very hard to get. Butter, you couldn't get butter, you know. So uh, all the things that my parents couldn't have during the war, they said, oh, there's no way that my Ben's not having butter and there's no way that yeah, all yeah. this fat they're giving in and stuff, but they didn't realise at the time. Two eggs and chips and chocolate. <laughs> well, bless her, bless her. Yeah, I mean, Ellie, yeah. She was a builder. I bet she was. Okay, well, I'm going to put that day into the time capsule, but mostly Auntie Nelly. She's frying the chips as we speak. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely. Yeah. So we've got one last thing to put in, Tim, which is the thing you want to get rid of. I'm surprised it's not that. Yeah, well, this is it. That's why I said you would think that would be it. Yeah. But because I've made so many people smile with it, you know, I've helped their sort of Mm. uh, grief, 
But I tell them, you know, if you want some grief, listen to this. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but this next question, really, um, there are so many things, aren't there, that, that you'd want to bury, I think. Mm. I mean, uh, it's such a massive question that yeah. um, difficult to find one. I mean, but personally, again, I'm thinking personally, and it's cigarettes. Right. That's what I'd like to bury, you know. My problem is I love cigarettes, but I hate them more than anything else in the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Because, and if I'm talking to a non-smoker, none of you have ever smoked. No, me, I have smoked. You? I smoked for quite a while, actually. So uh, so I know exactly the problem you're talking about. Yeah. But, I mean, I started smoking when I was eight years old. We were the last street in Benwell in Newcastle to have gas lamps uh, before the electric lamps arrived. Yeah. And my best mate's granddad used to live with him two doors up, and he used to smoke woodbines in packets of five. Mm. And my, my friend and I used to knit five five woodbines at eight years old. <laughs> and I used to shin up the lamppost and open the, the glass door and light the fags off the mantel <laughs> and pass them down to my mates. So I started smoking woodbines at eight years old. You know? Wow. And one day, my dad came around the corner and uh, he saw me up, up the slump post, you know, and he bloody get bloody down up, bloody get, when he got me Jordy voice, bloody get down up there, you bugger. Anyway, <laughs> he got me down the lamp post, and he, in them days, you know, he, he'd slap me legs or, he, you know, give me a little clip. Never hurt me, really, you know what I mean? I wasn't abused as a kid, I loved him, but he slapped the back of my legs, that was the punishment in them days. Mm-hmm. Slapped the back of my legs, lower red, you know. And then he sat me down and he made me smoke the, 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 the three that were left in the packet because one of my mates ran away with one and there was another three left mm-hmm. in the packet. And he sat me down and said, what, you bloody, you bloody soot. Smoke the bloody whole lot, 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 you know. You smoke the whole bloody lot, he said. So I sat and I smoked the whole lot. I wasn't sick. They didn't make me sick, uh. which I think really upset him. And he slapped me like this again <laughs> and put me to bed. And I think then, from then on, uh, being eight years old, I was hooked on fags, and I've smoked all my life, you know. I remember my dad, my father, could drive a Morris Minor and roll a fag with one hand. <laughs> he could literally roll a cigarette with one hand and light it. Mm. And me, he's a little eager, like, watching him. I'm not blaming him for starting, but my dad was a chain smoker. I think that's what killed him. Mm. And then, of course, at school, Smoking behind the picture. Lunchtime, I would go off with me and my mates would buy 10 francs, you know, and would share them out. And uh, by the time I started working at factories or welder, I was buying 10 cigarettes a day, you know. Mm-hmm. And then my parents allowed me to smoke in the house because I was 16 and I was bringing, I used to give me mum my wages, you know, and she would give me my pocket money, but I was bringing money into the house that my dad just let me smoke, you know. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then, of course, it builds up and builds. By the time I'm an actor, Every time I said cut, I'll be off having a fag, you know. Yeah. And I've stopped now. I'm, I'm a vapor. And I sat down one day and I just worked out on a piece of paper. You know, I, I wasn't smoking a lot as a kid, but but after that, I was 20 a day and 30 a day. And I, and I counted them more. And I've smoked more than a million fags. Wow. And I just think to myself, I've smoked a million, a million cigarettes. So... I've got this vapor. You've probably seen me playing with it now. It's like a dummy, you know, but it stops me smoking. And I, I hate cigarettes, but I love the smell of somebody else next to me <laughs> having one, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I crave like mad for them. And uh, the thing is, they're just useless, aren't they? I mean, what do they do with it? I mean, you know, if you've got a problem with alcohol, at least you're getting a drink, like, you know what I mean? Mm. If you smoke a spliff, at least you may, might feel a little bit higher. 
Yeah. If you want, if you're supposed to want to change your mood or whatever, but cigarettes. I always thought with cigarettes, when you've had a gap from them and you smoke a cigarette, mm. you do get that high. Your head spins a bit, and you know, yeah. if you could do that, you know, that's. But actually, it's not that pleasant, you know. And I have finally got to the point, having smoked for quite a while, where I don't find the smell of cigarettes pleasant anymore. I don't pass someone smoking in the street and go, oh, I'd like one of those. Oh, I I, I agree. I agree with you. And if somebody comes in your house, I mean, a lot of people that come round to visit you, you know, Mm. you can tell they've just had a fat come up the drive. And, and I mean, even I can, oh, it does, it stinks. Mm. But I don't think it smells bad. If you're in the smoking area outside a pub and you're having a beer, the smell seems to go with with having a pint, you know. Yeah. But not not in the house. I know exactly what you mean. Or yeah. in a shop or in the supermarket, and somebody stands next. Oh. Yeah. So did we have did we have a fag when we were in Benidorm, you and I? Secretly. Did we? Ah, right. For a long time, I was a sort of a secret smoker as well. Yeah. So I, I, I knew for a long time that I shouldn't be doing it, uh, and I was a bit ashamed of it. Yeah. I was very good at hiding it. Yeah. No, and actually, it was my wife saying to me, do you want to see your grandchildren grow up? Yeah, absolutely. And I thought, yes, I do. Absolutely. Well, good on you, yeah. They are ridiculous things, though, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Bob Newhart was quite right, that whole sketch about discovering tobacco in America. Yeah. I mean, there will come a time... Without doubt, when the whole of mankind, if we last this long, will look back and just think, do you remember that period when people smoked? Isn't that weird? Yeah, they laugh at it. But of course, when I was a little boy, every time we put the telly on, you know, everybody smoked, you know. There were cigarette adverts, of course, weren't there? Lots and lots of adverts. But yeah, and I could murder a fag now. Isn't that so ridiculous? But I can't have one. I can't have one. Okay. Well, we'll close up the time capsule and put cigarettes and bury them in the ground. Things you want to burn, is that what you said? (laughs) Things you want to bury. All right. Things you want to bury, yeah. Bury them, yeah. Yeah. Don't burn them. I I may be tempted to grab it off you. Uh, well, that's what I mean. I tell how ridiculous the whole thing is. Crazy. So get rid of them. Yeah. Get shot of them. Well, I've got to go because I'm just going to go down the road and get 20 Bensons. <laughs> 20 fucks in a beer, yeah. <laughs> well, it's been lovely talking to you. It's been fantastic talking to you. It's lovely to see you. Hopefully we'll get together on the board. One. The problem is with you and I, you can, you can tell all of you, your listeners, is that we go up for the same jobs all the time, don't we? That's the problem. Oh, there we are. All right. I'll leave you in peace. You're a real star doing this for me. Thank you, mate. My pleasure. I'll see you soon. See you soon. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Tim Healy. If you enjoyed listening to me chatting with an old pal, then there's plenty more of it. Not always old pals, but you just have to subscribe and we'll send you all new episodes as they're released. And you can go back and listen to any of the past episodes on any podcast provider worth their salts. Please rate the show if you get a chance and maybe even review it. We're always grateful. Thanks. You can follow me or my time capsule, or both of us, on social media, where we are embarrassingly active and try to reply to all questions about the podcast. The theme music was written by Pass the Peas Music and is available on Spotify. Feel free to help yourself. This was a cast-off production for Acast. Thanks to them for taking us on, and thanks to you for listening. Well, let's face it, without those two elements, this podcast may as well just be me, you know, calling up old buddies and having a chat actually come to think about it I'm sort of doing that anyway but in a very public telephone box 
Of course, no one under the age of 30 has the faintest idea what I'm talking about. Telephone boxes, you see. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's not just Doctor Who. That's a shame, really. I mean, all those jokes that gradually don't work, like I had a peanut stuck in my throat, so I drank some hot chocolate and it came out a treat. Or uh, I was staying in a four-star hotel. You could tell it was four-star, the room smelled of petrol. That doesn't work anymore, does it? Or that's a strange name, isn't it? Leanne Rhymes, because it clearly doesn't. Or my absolute favourite, if Peter Cushing... Yes, I know, I've lost loads of you already. If Peter Cushing married Whoopi Goldberg, she'd be Mrs Whoopi Cushion. Come on, that's funny, even if you haven't the faintest idea who they are. I'll see you next time. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.